Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Today, I'm talking in paradoxes. The secret to transparency, why nonprofits are twice the businesses that for-profits are, and the reason nonprofits need to choose donors carefully instead of the other way around. And to help shed light on these opposite viewpoints, we've got Melissa Vine in the house. Melissa is an entrepreneur, licensed mental health counselor, JD candidate, and nonprofit ED at Beacon of Life. Basically, a changemaker in almost every sector. I've long evangelized for nonprofit innovation and transparency. If you listen to this podcast or read my LinkedIn, I probably sound like a broken record. But this message bears repeating because it's central to the growth of our sector, which means that these topics are the key to infinite nonprofit impact. Melissa shows that these principles aren't all talk. In her first year as ED of Beacon of Life, she overhauled policies and programming, reduced investment in low ROI efforts, and nearly doubled donations. And then she put the money back into her team in the form of raised compensation, advanced training, and increased diversity. The result? Donors who know what their donations fund, a strategic, radically transparent team, and clients who've been impacted in significantly expanded ways. Listen in as Melissa and I discuss method and mindset and turning ideas into action. Let's dive in. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? <laughs> I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world. If you're going to be sustainable, you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors, however they want to be reached. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story. And it snowballs like any peer-to-peer campaign. The more people that view this content, the further and further it grows. Then you're doing it wrong. Okay. That is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Melissa, thank you so much for joining the Nonstop Nonprofit podcast. Super excited to have you on to talk about transparency and the bold move you took recently uh, to help eliminate sort of the pay inequity in the nonprofit space. And we're going to dive into that as sort of the main theme today. But before we do, uh, you have quite an impressive background working in the nonprofit space. And so we'd love if you could just share with our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do in the space. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. And uh, so my background starts a little bit on the personal side and I'm just kind uh, of Grew up in a very insular environment, and I got married very young and and owned businesses uh, with my ex husband. We had uh, four children. I was a stay at home mom, and I was homeschooling those children in in a very kind of fundamentalist religious environment, right? And and as I had a paradigm shift in life, and I chose to get out of that relationship, there was domestic violence in there, and I just my my whole world turned upside down. And and I I began going to therapy. And I became so interested in it that I decided I want to become a therapist myself. And so I, I got a master's in mental health counseling and I kind of went overnight from being wealthy and well-respected in my social circles to being at the bottom, right? So I was in poverty. I lost most of my friends. 
because I wasn't living in accordance with these these rules anymore. And and so that experience um, fundamentally changed me as a person because prior to that, I thought I knew the rules to living and I thought I was following them well. And then all of a sudden I was at the bottom and, uh, and experienced that, the trauma and the, uh, just the experience of not having people respect you in your circles and asking myself those hard questions. Where does my value come from? What am I doing in life? And so I began working as, while I was in grad school, I was a victim advocate for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, and then worked as a therapist for a few years after finishing that. But I'm learning about myself that I'm a systems thinker and, and I needed to go further out on that socio-ecological a model. So I began the position of executive director at a nonprofit here in Des Moines, Iowa, just over a year ago. And in the meantime, during all this time, I did start two businesses and I sold both of them. And then I began working as a professional speaker and trainer um, as well on issues related to organizational health when it comes to specifically mental health. And so I've had a few different things, a um, few different things going. And then here recently was offered a full tuition scholarship to Drake Law School. So I'm, I'm a full-time nonprofit director and a full-time law school student because the systemic issues that I see, some of them, I think I need a JD to be at the table to make some changes there. So I have a lot of different things going in my life, I, I, but I have a lot of great boundaries in place. Hmm. And that's kind of where I got, how I got to here. So. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for for sharing all of that. It's usually common in the nonprofit space that individuals wear lots of hats. And that is definitely the case for you. It sounds like you're doing some some pretty amazing things. And actually, you know, one of the things I came across when as I was learning a little bit more about your background uh, in your bio, you recently, and this is I think during the pandemic, at the start of the pandemic, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong there, but is you looked at sort of the organizational expenses and and found items in the budget that didn't necessarily have a strong return. And instead, you rerouted those funds to help pay your team a bit more, which which I absolutely love. So can you talk a little bit about that sort of that exercise you went through and and why you decided to do it at the timing that you chose to, to take place on that? Absolutely. So as I said, my background is more in initially in the business world. And so when I came into the nonprofit space, I had a lot of questions. I'm like, why do we expect more of nonprofit workers and pay them less for it? There's this kind of nonprofit guilt that people who work in nonprofit, well, you should just work really hard and not expect much for it because you're, you're doing good things, right? I say, let's turn that around the other way around. If you're doing more emotionally intense labor, let's compensate you better for that, right? So um, also, just from a strictly um, employee retention and employee satisfaction place, um, paying people well and, and having allowing them to be humans outside of just workers um, is is really great for the long-term success of an organization. And that works in the nonprofit space just as it would in the business space. So, you know, we had um, some some things on our um, financials that, that, yeah, the ROI doesn't wasn't there. We had a social enterprise, an upscale store, and it had been losing money for, for a while and probably wasn't going to be rebounding, especially in light of a global pandemic. Um, we also had you know, just some, some staff members that maybe weren't able to contribute to the mission of who we are as an organization and doing some of that organizational strategic planning really helped us to narrow in on what our mission is and, and ensure that the expenses we're putting toward that mission directly uh, impact it. So uh, we were able to cut a significant amount of, of our expenses just by asking some hard questions and having some hard conversations. And so when you th- when you think about you know cutting expenses and thinking about building an organization and a team more aligned sort of towards its mission, what what sort of role does overhead versus program you know play sort of in your strategic 
planning as as a leader. It sounds like you know you mentioned you have a you have a for profit background, which which is is great. And I'm sure you've you've experienced and have found that working in the nonprofit space with some of these sort of man made financial ratios to operate an organization aren't obviously the most sustainable. So we'd love to hear a little bit about as you're as a leader in the space, a little bit more of what you think about overhead and, and as it relates to you know the ratios of, of overhead versus program. If I'm being totally transparent, I don't spend a lot of time regularly looking at those specific calculations. Um, I guess I ask broader questions about is each of the positions that we have within this program and the tasks that the person with that position is doing, does it contribute to the mission that we've decided is the mission of who we are as an organization? I mean, I think we always want to see the world in binary terms and we want to be able to say, is this a program expense or is this an overhead expense? And I just don't think it I don't think you can really calculate it out as cleanly as, as we'd like to think that we do. And so I guess I look at a bigger picture of, are we accomplishing what we've set out to yeah. accomplish? Um, does the data reflect that that our clients are experiencing success? And, was, and is the well-being of our staff qualitatively and quantitatively, how, how is that looking? You know, a nonprofit is essentially like two businesses. It's in the business world, the work that you do generates the income for the business. But in the nonprofit world, the work that you do does not in general generate the income. So you're running almost like another business that has to generate income to pay for the work that the nonprofit is hmm. is doing. Um, and so that it just makes it different when you're looking at what what expenses really make sense and what ones don't. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And I love that. It's actually the first time I've heard someone kind of describe a nonprofit being two separate sort of business, uh, basically operations, right? From the fundraising and, and the programs and how those two don't necessarily, or how at least programs doesn't drive revenue in, in the traditional sense. Uh, so that's, that's super interesting. And I, I, uh, I really like that, that analogy there as it relates to, and I totally agree with, you know, it's, it's less about how much we're spending on X, Y, and Z. And it's more about what are the results we're trying to drive as as an organization and are the things that we're doing the absolutely best way to do it you know to get to to that end state so i love that way of thinking thinking about impact thinking about scale versus you know arbitrary financial positions recently i i noticed that uh, you did something pretty bold, and it was around uh, compensation transparency on, on the team. And you posted about this experiment or this exercise you went through recently with your own organization. So would, would you mind sharing a little bit more about uh, what what exactly you did and what led you to to actually do that thing? Well, as I as I shared a bit of my background, I mean, you know, there's there's uh, there's quite a bit of stuff in there, and and I think through all of this journey, um, what I have learned is that. Authentic relationships are really what it's about and and both personal and professional relationships being real about who you are and what your goals are. And I think as an organization, um, when we have these hidden pieces of our relationships within an organization, it's it's damaging um, to the organization. And so that this move toward pay transparency, it was scary. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was awkward. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Even when I first started wrestling with it with my staff and in my board, I'm like, this feels really uncomfortable. Um, but I, I mean, I've always been a huge promoter as a therapist and as a person that that um, authenticity and transparency with boundaries is, is a good thing for everyone. And so when we had our semi-annual reviews, I gave people a heads up. I'm going to be making a spreadsheet. I'm going to put everybody's pay on it. I'm going to say where you were when I started a year ago and where you are now. And then what the, um, you know, the industry averages in, in our location for this particular position. 
And I'm going to talk about, you know, where each person's at and why. And then I'm going to give you a copy of it to take home with you. And, and you can look at it. You can ask me questions. And uh, it was awkward. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. It's just not something people typically talk about. But we did it. And I think everyone seemed grateful for it. And uh, and this is not this thing. Like, we can talk about pay and people can advocate for themselves. And and it's, it's just not... It doesn't have to be this hidden secretive thing. So you utilize sort of your annual or biannual reviews as an opportunity to bring more transparency around compensation to the team. And you mentioned, you know, it was it was a bit awkward. There's no sugarcoating it. You know, when when someone you know sees what they're making and whether it's more or less than than somebody else. And so initially, how did your team respond to this? Like, what were were they? Did they appreciate the transparency? Was did they feel like it was overly transparent? Were there some people who didn't want their pay to be, you know, publicized to the rest of the company? Would love to hear sort of just how you navigated the team through this process as well. Yeah, I didn't have anyone verbalize any resistance to it. What I experienced was a bit of relief and gratitude. With at the end of every conversation about it, um, people expressed gratitude uh, because we were able to have such a just such a healthy conversation around pay. And you know, historically, we know that white people and men are more likely to be paid more than, than women and, and people of color. And so right here is an opportunity for if someone sees that I'm that there's some pay inequity happening and I'm, I'm discriminating against someone, they can see it right there um, on the paper and, and, and lead a conversation about that. And so and that's really important to me that as a leader that I can be held accountable for the choices that I make. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. And do you see this as a as a bigger problem in in the nonprofit industry? You know, you think about you know nonprofits and what they're designed to do is they're designed to eliminate you know problems, not to make problems worse. And so, do you see this? Do you see the nonprofit space as being an opportunity where this potentially this pain equity could could be challenged? And and if so, is it is is it an overwhelmingly big problem in nonprofits today? So yes, I do think this is a huge problem in the nonprofit space. And, and it's a bit antithetical to have a mission that is about empowering people. For example, in our case, our mission is about empowering women in crisis, right? And so if we are helping our clients who have come from a background of incarceration, domestic violence, and trauma, we're trying to help them get on their feet and come out of poverty, yet I'm paying my entry-level employees a poverty wage, uh, that's, that's inconsistent. And, and I think that this happens a lot in the nonprofit world. And, and, you know, it's difficult to raise funds and it's difficult to get grants. And, and so when you're working on a budget that you had to work so hard to get, it's tempting to try to squeeze as much juice out of everything and every person uh, that you can. But I would advocate for a smaller, more strategic staff that is paid, compensated better, and you ask less of them as far as hours worked and, and, and job duties, and you'll find that they'll work better and they'll stay longer. So in the end, it actually takes less work to do this because hmm. I'm not constantly hiring new people and experiencing frustration among the staff because people aren't able to do their jobs well. Absolutely. And I... I... I love the, that that approach and that focus. I think so many uh, workers in the nonprofit space, you know, experience burnout faster because 
I, you know, there's obviously a lot of passion uh, in, in the nonprofit space. I spent 12 years working, starting and, and, and running nonprofit organizations. And people come, you know, very passionate and excited for a cause. But as as they get overworked and underpaid, these things start to compound and really start to chip away and, and are, I, what I've seen at least, are catalysts to burnout in the nonprofit space. So focusing on on retention and taking care of your employees, I think it's, for, for whatever reason, seems somewhat of a taboo conversation in the nonprofit space because we have because we like to focus on sort of the impact and the problems that we're solving as, as an organization and feel like, you know, the rest isn't as important. But I love that what you're doing is you have an important mission. And you're committed to that mission and you want to do it to the best of your, of your ability, but not at the expense of not taking care of your team. And I think that that's, that's really important. And so that kind of leads me to my next question here, you know, as, as a licensed mental health counselor, what relationship, if any, exists between an individual's compensation and their own mental health? I do these two things. Is there any sort of correlation between these these two things? Would love any sort of thoughts you have around, around that. Yeah, I think there are in a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, uh, when you're in poverty or when you're being underpaid, um, I've experienced that firsthand. Not only do you have the increase in um, emotional energy that it requires to figure out how you're going to pay your bills, how how you're going to meet the needs of you and potentially your family, but also that when you need to take those um, self-care like let's say maybe you um, need to take a little weekend vacation or you can really use just ordering pizza on a Friday night, but you don't have the funds to do that or you feel guilty about spending money on those things. It can directly impact your mental health because you feel undervalued as a worker, but it can also indirectly impact your mental health because of the extra pressure and stress that it puts on your personal financial situation. And as someone who experienced poverty, now I can't relate with those who have experienced generational poverty. That's a whole nother level. But the poverty I experienced for that brief period of time in my life um, I learned a lot about there, there's the, the impact of oh, I can't do some of the things I'm used to doing, but there's also how that feels about your value as a person um, and, and your sense of self-worth uh, when you're the person who's standing in line to uh, you know get the scholarship so that your kids can go to the pool over the summer or something like that. Like it, it has an impact on how you feel about yourself as a person. And I think one of the other challenges from a mental health perspective in, in the nonprofit world is in an ideal nonprofit you are trying to work yourself out of a job. My end goal is that there are no longer women in trauma that are needing a transitional home to live in and needing support services to get back on their feet. That is very different from a business that wants to grow, 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 grow. So we want to grow as a nonprofit up to the point when we are no longer needed. And because I think there's sometimes an unhealthy relationship in the nonprofit world with needing to be needed, right? Like the world needs me because I'm providing this service. Sometimes we forget that we're actually supposed to be working ourselves out of a job. And I think sometimes that will cause us to make choices that require the community to keep needing our services as opposed to making decisions that would make us eventually obsolete. Totally. Yeah. I, you know, I think that that, that sort of authenticity in, in terms of, you know, accomplishing the mission and, and moving on and, uh, you know, not just, not just sticking around to, to, to have a job. I think that's, that's super interesting and it's unique as, as you mentioned, because, you know, it feels like it's, it conflicts with growth and scale, but at the same time, growth and scale can help you accomplish your mission faster 
and help more people faster. And so how do you know when you've accomplished your your mission? Because it's uh, you're working on you're working on a big issue. You're working on 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 a on something that's been around for a, a long time. And so how how do you know when when you know you have have accomplished it and and when it's time to move on? I think we have a little ways to go yet, but <laughs> one of the challenges that <laughs> is that in, in this space, I, I feel like I've got a bucket and, and my staff has a bucket and we're, we're trying to empty water out of a boat that's sinking and, and we're working really hard and we're keeping the boat from sinking, but yet we're not getting all the water out either. And then all of a sudden I, I, I realized one day, you know, there's holes in the boat, right? And so until we get fixed the holes, we're probably going to keep struggling with this, which is why I decided to go back to go back to school and get my law degree. Because I'm like, there's some there's some things at a systemic level um, that probably need to change before we can truly uh, fix this issue of people growing up um, with systemic oppression and negatively impacting their lives. So, I mean, I, I'm an optimistic person. I want to believe that someday there'll be equity in the world and, and there won't be these issues. And I, and I do work toward that end, but also the realistic perspective that there's a lot of work yet to be done. But I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're not only here for it, but you're also in, in, in many ways, I mean, that's just how I, you know, came across the work that you're doing was through just the awareness that you're, you're bringing to, to this particular issue. And so I'd love to like for, for organizations that are guilty of pay inequity and thinking, wow, you know, this, this sort of transparency would, would help really bridge the gap and make us more accountable. But at the same time, they're like, well, we know there's pay inequity here. So if we publish this, what sort of trouble are we going to get in or how is it going to impact you know, any thoughts around helping leaders who want to take a step, who want to be more transparent, but maybe by doing so, the, the optics of it might actually reflect pretty negatively, which maybe it's, that's good because it will, you know, kick them in the ass to, <laughs> to do something different. Um, so, I, the, the, you know, the question here is, at what stage in an organization's journey would you recommend this type of transparency around pay, so that pushes you know the industry forward together. Which, which are just general thoughts around that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I think that I first did some work to ensure that the pay that people were getting that I felt good, I could feel good about that as a leader. From when I started at this nonprofit until one year later, when we did these reviews with the pay transparency, there was an average pay increase of forty three percent of my entry and mid level. Um, employees compared to a national average of three to five percent. So we're talking some major changes in the actual pay of the employees. I wanted to make sure that no one was making less than a living wage. So, um, you know, that our full time employees were at minimum $15 an hour and that our salaried staff were making at or above the, the industry standard. So I did some work on the back end first to and then over this year to write preparing to be able to provide those increases in pay so that when I presented this sheet to our staff, I can feel good about, hey, this is good and this is right. And then I feel uh, comfortable uh, sharing this uh, with the staff. And so that that was kind of that first step. And, and, and I will say too, on that sheet, I listed, you know, the average pay for that job, but there were some jobs that the average pay was less than a living wage. And so I said, here's why these staff people are getting more than the average pay. It's because I don't think anyone should work here for less than a living wage. So then there was some explanation um, around that as well. But in regard to the other positions, it was pretty clear that they were at or right above that, that industry um, pay average. And so I think a leader needs to do some of that work, some research on what is equitable. Maybe even you have a consultant if, if you need some support on that. But yeah. there's some really great websites out there, you know, like salary.com and some some others that help to, to understand, you know, what that 
what that pay could could look like. Um, if you work with other nonprofits in your area and you want to just ask them, see if they'd be willing to to have a conversation about that. I think that's a good first step. But yeah, do your own research and back work before you present things to the staff. Don't be in a rush to do it and, and have it be sloppy or or cause more stress or problems um, than if you would have done some work on it first. No, that, that's that's great advice and, and great feedback around you know preparing and and getting to a point where it makes sense to kind of have those conversations. I imagine your staff is a lot happier uh, today than they were six, eight months ago. I mean, have you seen this contribute to their own happiness, you know, their own uh, work ethic as it relates to sort of these things that you've you've changed within the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think out of both a qualitative and a quantitative level, just asking them how they're, they're feeling and the feedback I'm getting qualitatively is indicating that there's a higher level of satisfaction, but also quantitatively, we can measure what our turnover is. Our turnover has been significantly down um, this year compared to the year prior, and that makes a huge difference in the stability of our organization when I don't have to keep hiring and interviewing and training and, and talking to the accountants to get new people on HR on board, you know, all of the things that you have to do when you have staff turnover. Um, it does, it allows us to focus more on yep. our mission because we're not down in the weeds trying to put the team together constantly. Totally. Yeah, there's, a, there's a huge hidden cost in high turnover uh, amongst, amongst employees that, you know, to an extent where significant raises, increases, just help offset sort of that unnecessary hidden hidden cost. A lot of organizations, when they think about sort of their operating expenses, specifically salaries, uh, and making those public, the question that could come up is, well, if our donors see this, they think someone's getting paid too high, is it going to discourage them from donating to our organization? Have you seen this impact sort of your own donor community? Uh, any feedback that you'd, you'd provide around that aspect of it? Well, I pretty transparent about our mission and how we go about that mission, right? Trauma-informed care, equity-centered, evidence-based practice, right? And so our donors tend to be more in line with that kind of work, just kind of that cutting edge evidence-based practice. And so those folks tend to also be supportive of healthy work environments and adequately compensated staff. And, and if they're not, this might not be the right place for them to donate anyway, because they probably aren't going to like the other things I'm doing either. So this this move toward pay transparency is consistent with the other types of leadership decisions and the way that I run this organization um, in general. And so, you know, we, we don't need to have everybody be a donor, just the ones that are in line with the way that, that the mission that we have and the way that we go about accomplishing it. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I, I actually just wrote about this recently talking about, you know, not not every donor is your donor. And what I mean by that is like you as the executive director understand more than anybody, better than anybody, what is needed to to succeed at, at your mission, right? And of course, the board and other people come along and support that and, and provide help where it's needed. But the vision, you know, really comes from the executive level, uh, in, in my experience, and, and sort of the belief and knowledge of what it takes. And so donors align to that versus you aligning to donors. I, I just love, I think that that approach is so important and more nonprofit uh, leaders and fundraisers uh, really needed to heed to that because it's, it's what builds, helps build an amazing organization with, 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 with strong impact. As we kind of wrap up here, one, one final question, and it's, it's less, it, it's, it's around mental health. And, and so a little bit of a departure from, from pay equity. Uh, but as I, I would be, you know, remiss to not ask you this question as as a licensed mental therapist, but I would love your thoughts on this past 18 months, especially for those working in the nonprofit industry has been a grueling 18 months. So any advice 
that you have for executive directors, nonprofit leaders who are thinking about, we really need to ensure and focus on the mental health of our team. This is becoming you know, a, a more important topic today than ever before. We're seeing more conversation around this. And so I, I'd love just to see if there's any advice you'd have to offer executive directors as they think about taking care of their team you know, during this unprecedented time that we've, we've all been living in. Yeah, that's a great question. So our tendency when we experience stress or when we're afraid, uh, maybe about afraid of about our organization's success or our future as an organization or how we look to the community, um, our, our tendency is to want to control. And so that's where the pay inequity often begins. And that's where some of our other organizational struggles begin is that the leadership is desiring to control the staff and control the clients um, as opposed to connect with them. And so I think when, when I feel in myself that desire to control a staff member or a client or control how the board perceives us, I have to step back a bit and ask myself, what am I afraid of? And that's a hard question to ask. And to sit in the answer with that can be pretty psychologically uncomfortable. Um, but I think that's a really important place for us to go is, is a lot of our nonprofits um, are led through fear and control. And I just don't think that's a healthy environment. So, so for example, one of the things we do here is we have unlimited paid time off. So I don't keep track of how or when, like how many hours my staff works or exactly what hours or when they're taking time. I mean, they let me know when they're going to be taking time off and kind of what their general schedule is. But I'm just asking the question, you know, are they getting the tasks done that are assigned to them? Are they experiencing, you know, success in that role and in accomplishing those things? And how can I support them? And are you, are you doing well? How, how are you doing? Are you, are you feeling good? Are you feeling healthy? What do you need? How can I support you? That's my focus not did you get your 40 hours in how many pto time how much pto time do you have left and um it, i'm more likely to ask it on my staff's case if they're not taking time off <laughs> than if they are you know taking too much time off so so just some of those things is a way where <laughs> i'm letting go of control and and letting them be humans and tell me what they need and, and you know allow me to support them that's su- super helpful and makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, no one likes to be controlled. And in fact, when we feel like we're being controlled, you know, I, I do think it brings a sense of insecurity about your future, about whatever it might be, you know, in whatever context we're dealing with. And so by giving people more control over their life, their time, their resources, you know, inevitably makes for a better, hap- happier life. And so I can see that, you know, the different things that you'd mentioned, whether it's in PTO and, and things like that, how that helps people kind of recenter them being in charge of their life, their time, right? Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what you want. So I, I, that's awesome. And I think too, I think one of the things I think about, as I thought about, we our, our company went full remote, you know, as a result of the pandemic. And it made me actually think about work-life balance in a very different way. Work-life balance was always like, there's a set, of, there's a set time for work, and then there's a set time for, for family and, and life. What I love about being at home is it's kind of all blended. And for me, it feels a lot healthier, meaning if I want to go have lunch with my kids, I can easily do that and not, not be worried about oh, I'm missing an hour of work, right? So I, I also see kind of like the work-life balance shifting away from like a, a set time in the day of when you work and when you don't versus it just being more blended, more of a hybrid uh, sort of, of, of experience. But yeah, that's, that's something I've noticed has been. I think that too can depend on the person, right? So for me, I have to really keep them separate or else I don't feel healthy. Like I don't have my work email uh-huh. on my phone. And when I, so I don't do work when I'm at home and when I'm at 
work, you know, I'm, I'm trying to avoid personal things, right? So for me, I have to have that separation. And then like for someone like you, you feel healthier when you have that blending. And again, it goes back to this piece where I'm not going to try to control what feels healthy, what I think should be a healthy work environment. Um, that, that you would get to, like, if I, you know, if you worked for me, you'd get to come to me and say, hey, actually, this is what helps me to feel my best self. And I'd be like, that's awesome. I, I support that. So. Awesome. Well, it sounds like to be an employee on your team would be a great experience. And, and so thank you, Melissa, so much for, for sharing uh, just your wisdom and, and uh, what you've been going through uh, here on the Nonstop Nonprofit podcast. I know it's going to be extremely helpful and we're excited to get this out and, and to share it because I think more leaders need to definitely take this advice and really apply it to, to their organization. So thank you for spending time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk with you. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562-242-8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.